biggest wife in the Bible. Now, I'm going to tell you that um, when I tell you who I have at Pendaz, you're going to say, oh, that's generic. But I'm going to try to get specific with it here. So I have the Proverbs 31 woman penned as the greatest wife in the Bible. How many of you, that was your guess, the Proverbs 31 woman? Okay, I'm going to give you who I think the Proverbs 31 woman is in the Bible. So turn over to Proverbs 31 and verse number 27. And once you've found that, you can stand for the reading of God's Word. Proverbs 31, verse 27. And we're going to read down through verse number 31 here. It says there, She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Let's pray this evening. God, I ask that you be with us tonight as we keep on this theme of the family, the home, and Lord, we elevate the institution of marriage. Lord, we look strong and hard at the role of the husband this morning, tonight, we'll turn our attention to the other side of that relationship, the wife. And, Lord, what a vital and important role. And, Lord, one that I believe has been uh, perverted and convoluted and changed. And, and Lord, uh, I pray that tonight you'd help give us clarity in your word on this. Uh, Lord, um, may we all be moved and stirred. I pray, Lord, that everyone here would leave with a better understanding of your intentions and your plans when you created Adam and Eve in the garden so many years ago. And Lord, may we work to mimic that model. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You're in Proverbs 31. Look back up with me at the beginning of the chapter there. Verse number 1 of uh, Proverbs 31. The Bible says there, The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. And so the, um, the key to figuring out who the Proverbs 31 woman is, is to figure out who is King Lemuel. Because whoever is King Lemuel, it is his mother that is the Proverbs 31 woman. And so if you do a search for the name Lemuel in the Bible, this is the only place you're going to find it. The only place you're going to find it. So there are a few theories that have been floated out there. And when I say uh, that have been floated out there, these are people who are uh, theologians, meaning that's what they do with their life. They just study the Bible. I mean, day and night, high and low. They, they, they enjoy uh, uncovering uh, uh, stones and, and looking underneath them and, and digging deep and looking in uh, corners that other people don't explore and look in. So theologians have some strong opinions and then Bible historians as well, people who really look... Uh, strongly at Bible history. And so uh, I, I looked at uh, several different things, several different uh, opinions, and uh, basically four different options came up over and over and over again. And I'm going to give those to you here tonight. Uh, the first possibility I saw was it was King Hezekiah, that uh, King Lemuel, Lemuel would have been a secondary name or a nickname for King Hezekiah. The second possibility was that it was an Arab king. An Arab king. The third possibility out there was that this is a fictitious king. 
that this person's not real, that this whole thing was just made up, and that God was uh, giving us this this woman. There is, and, and I've heard, listen, I've heard this floated out there all my life, is that nobody, no woman could ever actually be everything that the Proverbs 31 woman is. Um, I don't believe that to be true, uh, but those who hold to that theory would say that, well, this was a fictitious king with a fictitious mother, and God was laying out uh, what the ultimate superior wife would be. Now, the fourth theory, and everybody who is a Bible historian or theologian that floats um, uh, ideas out there, of everybody's theories out there, this one is the popular opinion, and it is the one that's probably going to take your breath away a little bit, it's King Solomon. King Solomon. So, if King Solomon was King Lemuel, and I can't say definitively that, it, that, he, that, he, that he is, but if Lemuel was the nickname or a secondary name for Solomon, that makes Bathsheba the Proverbs 31 woman. Bathsheba? What? Now, hold on a minute, Pastor. You know Bathsheba, right? I mean... You read back in Samuel where she did, and she was a part of, um, I'm well aware, I'm well aware, I'm well aware of Bathsheba's affair with King David. Um, I'm well aware that Bathsheba um, was compliant in a cover-up to have her husband murdered. I'm aware of that. How in the world could the Proverbs 31 woman be Bathsheba? Now, again, I want to be very clear on this. This is a theory. Does everybody understand that? I could get to heaven and find out I am wrong. Alright? I'm not standing behind this authoritatively like I am the blood of Jesus Christ. Alright? This is a theory. This is a working theory. And it's a, it's a theory or a hypothetical I'm going to run with with the message tonight. But let me lay out a Bible case for why it very well could be Bathsheba. Alright? Bathsheba offers a story of redemption. Bathsheba offers a story of redemption. Now, throughout the story of the Bible, God loves to show us people who have totally blown it. I mean, blown it big. And then He turns around and He does something great with them afterwards. Let me give you some examples here. Uh, Moses was a murderer before he led the Israelites out of captivity. And I mean, it wasn't even a justifiable murder. It was a hot temper, arrogant murder. He saw an Egyptian beating an a Israeli slave and he rose up and he killed the man. I mean, he killed the man and he buried him. And it wasn't until a couple of days later when he heard whispers that, uh, and he knew it was going to get back to his adopted dad that he split town. He murdered a man, but yet God was able to use him in spite of murder. How about Rahab? Rahab. Rahab was a Rahab was a harlot, meaning she was very loose. Uh, she was very promiscuous, and Rahab was not only redeemed out of the city of Jericho, but Rahab became part of the lineage of Christ. How about Saul in the New Testament? I, you know, he was a bad dude, wasn't he? Persecuted the church. Um, I've heard people say that he was a murderer. I don't know that it states that in the Bible, but very likely that he was. Very likely that he was. Um, I don't know. I, I want to be very clear here. 
about Bathsheba. Let's look back at Bathsheba for a minute. I don't believe that Bathsheba's case with David is the case of statutory rape. I don't believe that for a moment. Let me tell you why I think that. Um, David and Bathsheba, they knew each other well prior to the affair. I mean, after all, Uriah was one of David's mighty men, right? So that means that they went to weddings together, right? They all attended the same weddings when these mighty men got married. Um, they, uh, they would have attended funerals together. It, it, when David wandered out on the rooftop that notorious evening and Bathsheba is bathing on the rooftop nearby, that wasn't the first time that David recognized Bathsheba. And if you think that, then you, you really haven't thought, thought through this story very well. Um, I, I can't say this um, with great um, authority, but, but rather with speculation, but I think that probably Bathsheba had a thing for David as well. And uh, she wasn't standing in the way of the, uh, of the affair, the cover-up. Let me say this evening, praise the Lord, we serve a God who forgives. Praise the Lord, we serve a God of second chances. If not, Moses would have died on the backside of the desert all by himself and would have never let a soul out of Egypt. If God was not a God of second chance, Rahab would have died in her harlotry in Jericho. Saul would have died a Pharisee and all of his books would have never been written or they would have been written by someone else. Now, if, please, under, I want you to hear the logic here, okay? If God can turn murderous Moses into the leader of Israel, if God can place ratty Rahab into the lineage of Christ, if God can turn the salacious Saul into an apostle, then God can take an adulterous Bathsheba and turn her into the Proverbs 31 woman. Why? Because the Bible is full of redemption stories. So this would seem to fit the narrative of the Bible, wouldn't it? That God would take someone with a checkered past and make them into something marvelous. Number, uh, the second uh, introductory thought here. The, na- the narrative of Bathsheba also offers a story of refinement. Of refinement. To every woman here who has great sin in her past, let me say this to you tonight. There's hope. There's hope. You say, Pastor, you do not know what I have done. I might be speaking to people, ladies tonight, that have had an abortion. And you say, God could never forgive me. I might be speaking to ladies tonight who have been involved in luring another man out of a marriage and and, and bringing about an affair. I'm here tonight to tell you there's hope. I may be speaking to women tonight who, uh, who are very ashamed of the way they behaved prior to marriage. I may be speaking to women tonight that used to be involved in, in, uh, in, uh, in, a, in a relationship of someone of even the same gender. And I'm here today, tonight to tell you that God is a God of second chances. If you've made impure choices, He knows how to take your sins and bury them. And to make you into something beautiful. You can be refined from where you are. Or 
where you are uh, or or where you were uh, uh, before you came to God. But you must turn your heart over to Him and you must allow the Lord to clean you up. It's got to be the Lord that does it. This morning, I spent a lot of time in my introduction talking about the emasculation of manhood in our Western culture. And it is fierce. It is fierce. Our men have been emasculated. I really believe that if I could just reach back into the 18, uh, 1800s or the, ni- or the, the 19th century and just grab a random Joe and put him in today's time and just let him walk around for a day and observe, he would walk around and say, What happened to manhood? Where did it go? But I also believe that he would look at our women and say, what happened to womanhood? How come our men have become so emasculated and how come our women have become so masculine? Ladies, don't miss what I'm about to say here. The average wife seeks to compete with her husband on every single level. Ma'am, God has called you to complete your husband, not to compete with your husband. Did you hear that? God has brought you into his life so you would complete him, not compete with him. This isn't a, a race to see who can bring the most money home in a paycheck every two weeks. That's not what this is about. This isn't a race to see who can be more authoritative and more stubborn on a decision in the home. No, no, no. You're a team, and God has structured that team where your husband is supposed to follow the Lord, and you are supposed to follow your husband as he follows the Lord. This morning I said pretty definitively that some of you men needed to grow some hair on your legs and stand up and and tell your wife, we're going to church, and we're going to church three times a week. Let me tell you what would happen to a lot of the men if they did stand up and try that. They would get scoffed at, and there would be rebellion in the home. It's hard to leave someone who won't follow. And I'm here today to tell the men, listen, if your wife won't follow you to church three times a week, then you go. You go all three times, and you be faithful. And you make sure she understands that's your wishes for her. Don't be mean about it, but you make sure she understands that. Ma'am, you need to make sure that if God has given you a husband and he is trying his best to be a spiritual leader, he's trying his best to follow the Lord, that you support that and that you follow that. What we need are women who will follow a Proverbs 31 example. Now, my comments, both this morning and this evening, they are about as anti the sinful, uh, modern-day feminist movement as they could be. But let me just say this. My, my comments, both this morning and this evening, are very, very, very pro-women. Very, very pro-women. Proverbs 31 describes a woman of incredible balance. Describes a woman that is in the workplace. It describes a woman who is burning the candle at both ends. This woman is practical, yet she is pretty. This wife is strong, yet she is submissive. So I've got a lot, lot to cover. We're going to try to go through the whole chapter this evening and uh, look at every attribute of her. And so some of them we'll spend more time on than others. But let's jump right in and notice several characteristics of this greatest wife in the Bible, the Proverbs chapter 31 woman. Number one, notice this, her purity, her purity. 
Look down at verse number 3 with me of Proverbs 31. The Bible says, Give not, and this is the mother instructing King Lemuel, Give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. Um, now, if the Proverbs 31 woman is Bathsheba, Bathsheba would provide a strong case that God buries our past in the deepest seas. Now, you have to know that at this point in Solomon's life, Solomon knew about the sin of his parents and how they came together. Solomon knew about the, the affair. Solomon knew about the murder. Solomon knew that, uh, that his father married his mother in an attempted cover-up. Solomon was well aware, was well aware of these details. And Solomon was well aware of the woman that his mother had become. And uh, Bathsheba, if it was Bathsheba, would have been looking at her son and would have been saying, I watched your father. I watched the, the lust that he had. I watched the struggles that he had. I watched how it hurt him more than once. I watched how lust pulled away his children and hurt them. I watched how lust hurt my life. I watched how the pain and the hurt was dumped all over me. I watched how I was involved in something that seemed to give his children an excuse to behave in a salacious and awful and sinful way. And I'm telling you that I got my heart pure and I got my heart right. And I'm here to tell you, son, do not make the same mistakes that your father made. After God worked on me and after He cleaned me up, I became pure in my heart toward the Lord. And I'm here today to tell you that you may have some things in your past you look back that are impure. And I'm here to tell you, like Paul said in Philippians, he said, I, 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 uh, I, uh, I, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and, and pushing forward those things which are, behead, are, are before, I, I press toward the mark of the calling of, of, of God in Christ Jesus. And so uh, the way I've always pictured that verse is you're driving a car and you have the windshield in front of you and you have that little uh, uh, rear view mirror and a lot of Christians they drive their car with their eyes in the rear view mirror and, 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 and that's the only takes up about 10% of what's in front of you there but you focus on that and either you don't let go of the past uh, whether it's positive or negative and you steer the car in the ditch and you go pastor I was impure I was impure and I was impure and listen I'm here to tell you get your eyes out of the rear view mirror use it as a glance to keep you uh, make sure you're going the right way and focus out that windshield and drive forward into purity for the Lord. You cannot change what you did in your past, but you can sure uh, 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 choose today to be pure. And you take that day after day after day. You know, Bathsheba, she looked back after many, many years, decades of marriage to David. And she would have said, there was a point in my life I was impure, but I made a decision to be pure. And I was pure from that point forward. And I'm here today, ladies, to challenge you. Be pure toward your husbands. It is... Um, uh, it, it is a common and necessary thing for me to preach about purity to men. Because men will struggle with, uh, with purity uh, in these areas more than women will. But let me tell you something, ladies. Listen up. Let me tell you something. Your husband gets busy at work and your husband isn't fulfilling that companion need that you want and that you have. And the next thing you know, listen, I've seen deacons' wives. I've seen pastors' wives. I've seen women in prominent positions in churches that I've attended get caught up in behavior that is not appropriate for a Christian woman to be involved in. And the 
next thing you know, it is coming out that the wife of the pastor, the wife of a deacon, the wife of a prominent church member is involved in sin that is grotesque and wrong. And it comes to find out she was not getting the friendship she wanted from her husband. So she went and found it somewhere else. And I'm here today. I'm here this evening to tell you there are no excuses for an impure heart. Your husband is not fulfilling that companion need, then you get his attention. You go to a counselor, you find help, but you keep your heart pure. Number one, her purity. Number two, notice her price or her value, her price. Look down with me at Proverbs 31, verse 10. Look there, it says, Who can find a virtuous woman for her price? Her price is far above rubies. Now, uh, my mother had something hanging up in our house most of my life with this verse on it which I thought was wonderful. It reminded her of the goal of being a virtuous woman. It reminded my two sisters of what they should attain to be when they grow up. And I've, I've known this verse most of my life, seeing it around the walls of my house, but I never really knew what virtuous meant. Uh, here's the definition of virtuous. If you're taking notes, write this down. Virtuous really means uh, uh, three words, and I think they fit together perfectly. Strong, efficient, wealthy. Strong, efficient, and wealthy. Strong, efficient, and wealthy. Now, if you read from verse 10 down through about verse 15 or 16, what you'll find is that this woman, this uh, uh, Proverbs 31 woman, uh, fits all three of those thrown in a blender and stirred up. She was uh, efficient because she was strong. She was wealthy because she had strength and efficiency that brought about that wealthiness. Uh, this wife was a virtuous woman. So how uh, is how was she virtuous? Let me quickly uh, rattle off an A, B, and a C. Notice she is trustworthy. She is trustworthy. Look down at verse 11. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. So that he uh, so that he shall have no need of spoil. Another way of saying the end of the verse is that he has no spoil. Listen, she takes advantage of everything. She stretches everything uh, as far as it will go. And he knows that uh, he can give her the checkbook and he can go to work. He can give her a credit card and go to work. And he's not going to come home and see a racked up credit card bill. He's not going to wonder what happened to the money. He knows that she's trustworthy in those ways. Uh, her words carry weight when she says she's going to do something. Uh, when she uh, 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 says that she did or didn't do something, she is reliable. She is reliable. Let her be noticed. She is thrifty. She is thrifty. Uh, look down at verse number 12 of, of Proverbs 31. The Bible says, She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now keep in, in mind, verse 12 is talking about financial good. Look at verse 13. She seeketh wool and flax or linen and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. Again, the emphasis from verse 10 down through verse 15 is on her financial profitability. Financial profitability. Not that she makes money here in these verses, these set of verses. Rather, the income that she does oversee, uh, she oversees it and she manages it carefully. Carefully. Look at there. It says that she seeks for wool and flax, or she seeks wool and linen. Now, what is she doing with these raw materials? She's turning them into clothes. 
She's getting raw materials of wool and linen, and she's making clothes, and, and, and she's making bed sheets probably, and she's making uh, drapes for the house. She's taking the time to learn how to sew and to, and to put that on. Now, I understand not everybody here uh, knows how to sew. That's not really the larger point here. Look down at verse 27. She looketh well to the ways of her household. I'm sorry, I'm ahead of myself here. We'll get to verse 27 in a minute. Um, you, you may not know how to sew. There might be a couple of you ladies here that do. All right? If so, great. You fit this wonderful. But you know what you can do is that you can look after the hard-earned money in your home, ladies, and you can make sure that it is spent wisely, not frivol- frivolously. You can look after that and you can take what uh, uh, you can take what a dollar would cost here and you can find a way to spend it uh, in, a, in a more wise way somewhere else. Now, uh, it, look, if your husband makes the money or maybe you together, both of you together make money to where you don't have to shop at uh, a Goodwill or a Savers, then listen, you go out and, and look for sales and buy things at Penny's or wherever you shop. Penny's, I think, is closed now, right? Over at the mall. Didn't they close pennies? I don't go to the mall very often. Uh, 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 wherever you shop, uh, buy things on sale. Be smart about it. i got to say that uh, for years, uh, Angela and I, we have bought our groceries at Aldi's because it's about, it's about 60% cheaper there than it is anywhere else. We've been shopping at Aldi's since we got back from our honeymoon. The very first uh, trip we made together was to Aldi's. And uh, we, uh, about, after about a month of shopping there, we went to a regular grocery store with some gift certificates. I think it was like $150 in gift certificates. After the gift certificates, we spent more on our groceries than we would have at Aldi's without the gift certificates. And we both looked at each other at the register with our jaws dragging on the ground, and we said, we will never shop here again. <laughs> um, and you say, oh, pastor, that's, that, that is gross. Listen, if you can afford to shop at another grocery store, that's all fine and good. But listen, ladies, do your best to take the money that is put in your hands and, and, and stretch that out to last the longest and be as smart as you can with it. Be thrifty. Be good steward of that. Let her see. Notice she is timely. She is timely. Look down at verse 15. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. What is this talking about? It's talking about getting up before the, the, the before dawn and preparing a meal for your working husband and your children who are going to be out and about. You say, "There you go, Pastor. You're an old timer. You're saying women belong in the kitchen." I'm just reading Proverbs 31.15. Someone's got to do the cooking, and in my house, you don't want me doing the cooking. Amen. We'd all be dead of food poisoning in a week. Um, look, I, I understand that not, uh, not every verse applies to every home the same. But the idea here is that she is willing, she has the character to get up early and do those things that are necessary to make sure her family is well-suited. Look down at verse 27. She looketh well to the ways of her household. She eateth not the bread of idleness. She eateth not the bread of idleness. And the picture I always get of an idle housewife is that uh, every, every uh, day at whatever time the soap operas come on, she's parked on the couch with a bag of potato chips or Cheetos, and she's uh, figuring out what's going on with old Luke and Laura, right? And uh, she's wiping away the tears and... I know that that's a stereotype. 
um, although it's probably true in some homes. This is a woman who's always working. I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful that in my life, the, the women I've gotten to watch up close, boy, they, they, they just work hard. They don't stop going. They're, they're taking care of all kinds of things. Uh, me, uh, when I was a child, me as a husband, uh, the other children, uh, my, my father. And uh, th- that is the sign of a woman who's timely. She's willing to get up early, willing to stay up late, willing to burn the midnight oil. Next notice, her prophet, her prophet. Look down at verse 16 of uh, Proverbs 31. The Bible says, She considereth the field and buyeth it. So she's a real estate agent. With the fruit of her hand she planteth a vineyard. So she gardens. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. Uh, she perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. So, verse 15 talked about her getting up early. Verse, uh, seven, or verse uh, 18 there talks about her staying up late. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. A sewing term there. Look down at verse 24. She maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Earlier we talked about how that she stretches every dollar that comes into her home as far as possible. But beyond just being thrifty with the money that she has uh, been given by her husband, she also takes and goes and earns more money for her home where the opportunity arises. Now, I'll say this here. I don't really know if the American idea of women in the workplace in the entire history of our country has ever been in balance. Um, We all know the old model, right? A, A century ago. 150 years ago, maybe even as recently as 50 years ago, 60 years ago, prior to Rosie the Riveter, it was that, uh, you know, the man goes to work and the wife stays home and she cleans and cooks and takes care of the kids and the husband comes home and cooks off his shoe, kicks off his shoes and at that time she's got her makeup all done up and she's nice and pretty and she dotes and loves all over her husband and, you know, that's where all the old jokes about, you know, why, why does a woman need a pair of shoes and she just needs a pair of slippers and... Uh, all the different, you know, Iron Man is a superhero, Iron Woman is a, is a, is a command, right? And all those, uh, those jokes, I don't, look, I'm not, no, that's not me. I'm just saying that's an old joke, right, from that era. Um, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. What's the new thought process? By the way, that was out of balance. The new thought process is that, hey, listen, the women ought to be, woman ought to be empowered, and if the woman's the one that goes to work, then the man just stays home and takes care of the kids. And, I, and I, listen, there are certain situations for brief stints of time where that's okay. That's not the biblical model. It's not the biblical model. Are you, and so you may ask me, are you saying that it's wrong for women to work? I'm not saying that. There are a whole lot of scenarios and situations where, listen, the woman is ever bit as good in the workplace as the man. Proverbs 31 here talks about how that she's a real estate agent, how that she's planted a vineyard, how that this woman has uh, stoned items and sold them at market to make money for her family. And so for me to stand here and say that there's no place for the woman in the workplace, it is sexist, 
it is sinful and it is anti-Bible. It's just not what the Bible teaches. You say, well then, Pastor, if the woman isn't supposed to be outdoing her husband in the workplace, and the woman isn't just supposed to be stuck at home necessarily all the time with no option of work, then what is the proper balance? And here's what it is. Um, that God created the man in the Garden of Eden, Adam, to be the one who was the primary finance giver of the home, and he created Eve to be the primary caregiver, kindness giver of the home. So I believe that the man's first responsibility is to go out and earn a check, to put the food on the table for the family, to provide the finances, to take care of paying all the bills, and where he can take care of the kids secondarily, he ought to. Likewise, the wife's primary responsibility is to take care of the children and to take care of her husband and to make sure the home's clean and then where she can on top of that provide. I told Angela very early on in her marriage, I said, listen, while we have no kids, work all you want. Work all you want. As long as your job is not stretching you to the place where we can't have a marriage, that's, that's great. I said, don't work that much. Beyond that, work as much as you want. I'm not going to make you work, but you're free to work as much as you want. I told her, I said, after we have kids, and we were both on board with this, but after we have kids, listen, the first three years that they're born, I want you to stay home, and I want you to be the primary caretaker of them. I said, listen, we may end up living in a cardboard box over this, that's fine by me. I was preaching this in our Spanish church and uh, uh, telling them that, look, uh, the mom has got to be the one that takes care of the kids when they're little and uh, got to be there to uh, instill the morals in them. And the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that ends up ruling the world and all of these type things. And I told my Spanish church, I said, listen, I believe in this down to the core of the conviction of who I am as a man. And if it means that we end up living in a cardboard box, then I'll live in a cardboard box. And shortly thereafter, everything happened where we had to leave that church. And we found ourselves living in a tiny little 750 square foot apartment, moving out of a four bedroom home. And Angela looked at me and she said, do you want me to go to work? She said, I know that this isn't ideal. And I said, no, 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 you're going to take care of these babies. I'm going to work and we'll just live with whatever we have to live with. And we drove um, a broken down vehicles and we lived in a little tiny apartment and we didn't have a whole lot, but my children had their mom and I had a wife who was there to provide for me, to take care of me. Now, what about the work situation? As long as you can, and, and so with, with my wife, what I've told her is when the, our children become school age, as long as you can be there to see them off in the morning and you can be there to receive them in the evening, you work all you want. Your primary responsibility, biblically, is to take care of the home. Outside of that, you work all you want. My wife has worked a few jobs here and there. And she's welcome to do that now as well. But the primary responsibility is not to make money, it's to take care of the home. And where you can, ladies, you bring in extra income to help, out, help better your situation. Next, notice her pity. Her pity. Look down at verse number 20. Proverbs 31, verse number 20. The Bible says, She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hand to the needy. Now, while she has managed the money of her home well, and she has gone out and earned extra income, and they are living, this marriage, no doubt, is living an affluent life. In fact, if this was Bathsheba, she was living the most affluent life. She was living in a 
palace and living on top of the world as her husband was the king of the greatest uh, kingdom of that time. And here you have Bathsheba above the crowd, above the fray, above the noise, above the poverty. But yet when she sees somebody poor, she reaches down and she takes care of them in their need. Oh, that God would give us a church full of people. That don't snub the poor, don't turn their nose up at the poor, but love the poor. Reach down and help the poor. There, there, but for the grace of God go I. Amen? We looked at Wednesday night in Deuteronomy 15, how the Bible talked about, you're always going to have the poor among you. Always. Having a bad attitude toward them doesn't fix the problem. That doesn't just mean poor financially. That can be, be mean poor relationally. That can mean poor in a whole lot of different senses. But here the Bible says that she has pity on the poor. Pity on the poor. I look at this uh, Hope Line for Bridgeport. Uh, uh, Hope Line in Bridgeport uh, 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 thing we're taking on where we're trying to supply uh, uh, baby items for women who are struggling with the decision of choosing life or death. Those that go out and buy and provide this, you know what you're doing? You're providing pity to the poor. You're stretching out your hand to the poor. You're reaching forth your hand to the needy. You're showing some compassion. Compassion can't be measured in dollars and cents, by the way. You listening tonight? Compassion is not measured in dollars and cents. It does come with a price tag, but that price tag isn't the amount of money spent. That price tag is your love. You see, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You cannot love without giving. When God breaks your heart for the poor and He gives you that pity. You love them. There's going to be the giving in every way possible. Number five, we see her provision. Her provisions. Look down at verse number 21. Proverbs 31, verse 21. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. Look here. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. All her household are clothed with scarlet. Again, the emphasis tonight is on being a godly wife. So, we want to figure out how to be a godly wife. We go back to the model in Genesis and what was that model. All right? Let me, uh, let me just help, help you with this. When God came down and punished Adam, and then He punished Eve... Adam's punishment was that he would sweat and that he would hurt himself off the thorns that grew from the ground. His punishment was labor-related in that providing for his family. What was Eve's punishment? That she would have pain in childbearing. Eve's punishment was directed at caregiving. Adam's punishment was directed at cash getting. You see that? Eve's pain was in caregiving. Adam's pain was in cash giving. So Adam was going to have to hurt and sweat and be tired at the end of the day for bringing in the cash to take care of his family. Eve's pain was going to be uh, uh, the, the all of the pains that come with the pregnancy process and the birth process and that taking care of the home. And so uh, what is God's intent for the home? It's for Adam to provide the cash and Eve to provide the care. Now we see here that the husband is able to focus on his role. Why? Because his wife has taken care of dressing the household. Look back at verse 21, the second half. For all her household are clothed 
with scarlet. I'm so thankful that I can go to work and I can do everything I do. And listen, if the, if the children's toes are starting to pop out the end of the shoes, they keep doing that for some reason. I'm stop doing that, right? It costs me money. Every time your, uh, your toes keep popping out of the edge of those shoes, the end of those shoes. But I have a wife that can come to me and say, look, you know, they're outgrowing their shoes. And uh, she just goes and gets some new shoes. And, and, uh, and, and that's the idea there. Um, look, one of the ways that you're a Proverbs 31 wife is that when your husband knows the children are taken care of when it comes to the clothing standpoint. Knows that those things are taken care of and that, that money has been taken that's been provided and been spent carefully in those provisions of care. Number six, notice uh, her presentation. Her presentation. Look at verse 22. The Bible says, She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing, look here, her clothing is silk and purple. Now, to have clothing that's purple back then was an expensive item. To get a garment to be purple was an expensive process. So wearing purple back then was a, it was a big deal. It, it was a sign of wealth. And I don't necessarily tonight want to put the emphasis on the wealth. But what I do want to put the emphasis on is that this man's wife, whoever it was, whether it was David and Bathsheba or, or a totally different person, whoever this woman was, listen carefully here, she presented herself in, well in public. She presented herself well in public. There is something to be said, ladies, about the way that you present yourself. It speaks well of your husband. I, I mean that you take the time to... Pick an outfit that matches and that is appropriate for the occasion and the situation. I mean that you groom yourself. I mean that you go about wearing uh, clothing that, uh, that honors your husband and his reputation and does yourself well also. Now notice here in verse 22, and this points to the masculinity of the women of our day and time, but verse 22, look what it says her, her clothing is. It's coverings of tapestry. It's silk. It's purple. These are soft items. She dresses in a way that's effeminate. And I believe that that's biblical, that ladies, you dress in a way that's effeminate. You don't need to be in a contest to see if you can dress more masculine than your husband, amen? Amen. Put on an outfit that, that, look, I think men are dressed like men and women are dressed like women. And uh, you say, well, pastor, can you define that for me? I, I'm not going to do that. I think that uh, you need to study your Bible and read it and understand it. But when someone is looking at you from a distance, it ought to be clear what gender you are. She presented herself in soft clothing that was effeminate, that was well covered and well presented, her presentation. Next, notice her promotion. Her promotion. Look at verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. This woman here, she brings meaning to the phrase, the better half. I'll say to people about Angela, here's my better half. Any of you men ever use that about your wives? Here's my better half. Um, and so uh, it is 100% true in my case. This woman, she, you know why her husband was able to sit in the gate and be a judge? Because this woman did not criticize her husband in public. She didn't criticize her husband in private. Hey, listen up, listen up. Don't you get on the phone with mom. Talk down your husband. Don't you get on the phone with, um, 
with relatives and run them down. You say, well, but my marriage is in trouble. Then you seek out help, but don't you get on the phone and vent about how bad your husband is. That, that, that doesn't fit the godly model here. You say, well, I'm in a terrible relationship. Then you go get help, but don't you dare run, uh, 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 run around and gossip and, and, and just belittle him for the sake of belittling him. The thing about this woman is that she knows what her husband's greatest weaknesses are. But what she does is she seeks to make up the difference where he has a weakness and she seeks to help cover those weaknesses in the public eye. And I'm not talking about covering sin. I'm talking about covering up a character flaw here or there. This man is honored by all who know him because his wife is such a great asset to him. She seeks to compliment him in every way possible. Next, we see her patience. Her patience. Look down at verse 25. Look here. Strength and honor are her clothing, and he shall rejoice in time to come. She shall rejoice in time to come. You know what that means? This is a wife who's not concerned with receiving the credit and being in the forefront. This is a wife who's content with being a backlight. She loves nothing more than to hear people praise her husband. She thinks, okay, yep, I did the work, but he's getting the credit. And that puts the biggest smile on her face and great joy in her heart. What does this woman understand? She understands that hard work and godly decisions, decision-making comes before rejoicing. Can I tell you something? Uh, we're going to talk about parenting quite a bit this month, but let me just give you a little tidbit here. When your children are little, I mean really little, parenting is not fun. That first time that your, your infant arches his back in rebellion, the whole joy of having a baby begins to leave. I remember one of my children, um, I won't say which one, but uh, she was... Uh, She was just a little thing, and uh, Angela's putting her in the in the car seat after going shopping, and um, she's doing the arched back thing, you know, the, I'm not going to let you buckle me in. How many here have children or grandchildren ever try that? All right. And, um, you know, usually you lift up the leg, one little swat on the back of the leg, and and then, you know, that rebellious heart goes away, the crying begins, and you buckle them in. Well, as it happened, um, uh, the, the van door was open. We had a van at the time. The van door was open, and this lady is parked right next to Angela. I wasn't there. Um, and uh, probably better I wasn't there. This, uh, this lady is staring out the window. And if you do anything to hurt that child, I'm calling the government on you right away. You know, one of those type looks. And so April's just arching her back and going to town and and screaming and crying and not being cooperative. And Angela's just smiling away, just being her, her dainty self and, and um, um, not getting anywhere with April after several minutes. And this lady's staring her down. Finally, Angela reaches in and just pinches the inside of the, the thigh of that little girl. Just give her a little pinch there. In a way that was discreet. 
that back stopped arching and that, that, that face started screaming. And Angela just buckled her up and closed the door and looked at the lady. And <laughs> you know, the, the work of being a parent is hard. Especially when they're really little. And if you do it right, then what happens is you punish less and less and less. It gets to a place where when they're 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, you don't have to punish very much anymore because you did the hard work when they're young. And you're patient with the process. This is a woman, this is a wife who understands that I've got to do some hard, dirty work that is not rewarding in that moment so that I can be rewarded down the road with patience. Verse 25 says, She shall rejoice in time to come. She shall rejoice with, because of her patience. Number nine, notice her persuasion. Her persuasion. Look at this. Verse 26. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Now, a sermon on being a good wife would not be complete if I didn't get on the topic of nagging. How many of you men were really hoping I'd hit nagging? Don't raise your hand. It gets you in trouble, okay? Um, say, I'm a man, Pastor. My hand's up. No. Yeah, don't try that. Um, Look at verse 26 again, the end of the verse. Her tongue is the law of kindness. How many times do I have to ask you to paint that back bedroom? If, if that husband is like most, a request like that equals no painted bedroom. Ah, tell me what to do. I'm not doing anything. This is a woman who knows how to get her husband to do what she wants him to do, but not through her stubbornness and her nagging and her nastiness. She knows how to get her husband to do what she wants him to do through her strong submission to him. You say, Pastor, if I'm submissive to him, he'll just run right over me. He'll treat me like a doormat. And I'm here today to tell you that if you are submissive to your husband, and he is a godly man, and he's making any effort whatsoever to please the Lord, he'll see your submission, and he will want to do everything he can to please you. I can remember as a child many nights sitting up with uh, my mom, especially my teen years where I was trying to figure out life and, 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 and work through some complicated uh, things in my heart. And, and uh, at the time, things to me that were a big deal that now wouldn't be such a big deal that I'm older and, and have gained a little bit more wisdom. But I can remember many nights being up past midnight, sitting at the kitchen table with my mom and bearing my heart to her and her advising me and helping me. I can remember many nights where my dad was struggling with something and my mom just seemed to have just the right word to help him along. And I'll say tonight that probably the most godly advisor in my life is my wife. Uh, she knows my weaknesses. She knows my struggles. She knows things about me that nobody else does. And she is able to get me going in the right direction with a thought, a, a word of compliment, a, 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 a word of correction that's said with a law of kindness in a careful way. And I'm here today to tell you, ladies, you need to learn how it is that you not only cover up your husband's flaws, but that in the right moment, in the right time, through much prayer and through much carefulness, you persuade him the right direction. This is a wife who opens her mouth with wisdom and in her is the law of kindness. This is a wife who gives godly advice in the kindest 
way possible. Number 10, we see her praise. Lastly, her praise. We'll finish with this. Look down at verse 28, where we began tonight. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. This would be the son speaking of his mother. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hand. Let her own works praise her in the gates. Why does this woman of Proverbs 31, why does her husband praise her? Is it because she presents herself in a way that she is his trophy wife? No, 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 no. See, that is objectifying the woman. Woman, uh, ma'am, if you're hanging your value on skin-deep beauty, let me just remind you that uh, beauty might be skin-deep, but ugliness runs all the way to the bone. Beauty is not measured by the facial features or the figure that God has given you. Beauty is measured by how, how you have adorned your heart before God. How does a wife reach such a level where her husband openly praises her and praises her regularly? Well, it comes because she's not focused on outward beauty. While she adorns herself in modest apparel and she takes care of grooming herself and presenting herself in a way that's beautiful, uh, as First Peter describes, she's more concerned about the inward man of the heart than the outward appearance. Her focus is not on her beauty. And look, at, look back at verse number uh, 30 there. It says, favor is deceitful. Favor is deceitful. You know what favor is? Favor is being worried about what everybody else thinks about you. It's this attitude that I've got to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way, post on Facebook a certain way, uh, keep my Instagram updated in a certain way so that I'm popular in everybody else's eyes. And listen, uh, popularity uh, uh, or favor, the Bible says it's deceitful. It's deceitful. Unfortunately, men, many women get dressed up to go to church, not for their husband, but rather for the compliments of the other women in the church building. And ma'am, I'm here to tell you that the first person you ought to dress up for is the man you call your husband. man you call your husband. Beauty is deceitful. Beauty is vain, the Bible says here. And it says that favor or popularity is deceitful. How do you become praised by your husband and honored by the Lord? You get that by fearing the Lord with all your heart. You want to be a Proverbs 31 wife? How do you get all nine of those? Uh, rather, how do you get uh, praise? You've got to live the other nine of those that were uh, mentioned. All of the rest of the chapter, how do you do that? You get that by fearing the Lord. You must focus on fearing the Lord. Tonight I ask you this. Wives, are you fearing God? Do you respect Him? Do you reverence God for the way you live your life? Or are you more worried about your outfit or your Facebook post or how popular you are in the circles that you run in? God wants you to walk with Him and fear Him. And all these other things begin to fall into place. 
We're going to have marriages that work. Both the husband and the wife have to be making a strong effort to put God at the center. I hope that through the preaching this morning and this evening, we see the need of godly husbands and godly wives where a home is, is, is wrapped around and included in the person of Jesus Christ at the center of our marriages. Let's, let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Lord, I pray that tonight you'd help us to see through the preaching of your word what it is that you intended when you created marriage. Lord, the foundational institution of all of society. God, it's broken. Divorce is at an all-time high. And then, Lord, many people don't even get married anymore. They just live together. God, how heartbroken you are to see that, that which you've created ignored. Lord, may we hold up marriage at White Oak Baptist Church. May we hold it high. May we reverence it. May we not just reverence it within the walls of our church. May each couple reverence it within the walls of their home as they go about their daily lives. May we love and respect and honor each other. Lord, I pray that tonight our wives would be challenged by the message. Lord, our marriages would be challenged to bring honor and glory to You. What a great weight we carry on us when we remember and consider that our marriages are supposed to mimic Your love for the church. May we work hard to meet that standard. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. The piano plays. The altar's open. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. You're here tonight. Let me just encourage you. Make sure that you are adorning the inward man of the heart. You have a heart that's pure before a holy God.